watching closely. The secret impresses no one. The trick you use it for is everything. Now you're looking for the secret. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to work it out. You want to be fooled. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this time we're going to be covering something that I have wanting... (laughs) Off to a good start here. This time we're going to do one of Seth's favorite movies. Yes, it is true. We're going to be talking about The Prestige from Christopher Nolan, starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson and David Bowie. And Michael Caine. And Michael Caine, of course. And uh, we're also going to be talking, of course, about the Christopher Priest novel from 1995 that the movie is based on. And we're going to talk about, you know, how the adaptation worked and whatnot. That really didn't star anybody. They're just some words on a page. It's true. Right. So uh, bear with us if this is a little rough. It's It's been a while since we did this, you guys. How has long it? has it been since we've recorded? It's been more than a month, I believe. I think the last time we recorded was the beginning of April. Uh, so where do we usually start? I guess we usually start with the story, right? The story. Um, I was thinking about this today, huh. actually. That's a tough one, actually. Yeah, I was tr- trying to figure yeah. out what is... It's, it's pretty brief when you really think about it. Um, because the, right. I feel like the movie and the book kind of approach it from two different directions almost. And and I guess we'll get back to that. But yeah. I, so I guess the story is you have two rival stage illusionists in England in the Victorian times, I guess. Uh, I guess, I guess it's 19th uh, century, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's Victorian, Victorian era. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of the story of how they became rivals and how they approached magic actually quite differently. And... Mm-hmm. I think that's about all, all I can say that's really, really common. And there, there's a lot of minor details that go different directions. Yeah, it's really just a story of a rivalry between two magicians, right? Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. It's it's yeah. the story of their rivalry and how it affects their lives and the lives of everybody around them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, you know, we always talk about the book first. And, of course, the book adds something that I think is pretty common to uh, to a lot of books. And it's a framing narrative. Movies do use yeah. them. And this film actually does use a framing narrative, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about that. But it's it's a framing device more than a framing narrative, I guess. But in, in this case, in the case of the book, it's set in modern times, and then all the kind of action of the rivalry is told through journal entries and, right. and diaries. And it's it's gleamed through... Yeah, through, not, the, through, through an encounter of a descendant of the Bordens right. and a descendant of the Angiers. Gleamed through ascent, ancestral artifacts. There you go. So the way we usually do this is we usually talk about any of our personal histories with the material, right? Right. So it's going to be kind of a, a brief discussion about the book, I think. Right. In terms yeah. of our histories with it. Yeah. I have so, not read it previously. And Colin? Uh, I had only read the book uh, for this podcast, so within the last okay. couple of months. Okay. And I was introduced to the movie by you, because you you loved it and were raving about it in positive ways. Last couple months? I read it in the last couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Jimmy. That's why it's been so long. That's yes. When, when we ask James to read book back to back with book back to back with book, it slows down the cadence somewhat. Right. Really badly. Yeah, so for for me, I had seen the movie and really enjoyed it and sought out the book at some point on audio. And so that was my previous experience with it. It's a good audiobook. Um, I think it was read by Simon Vance, but I could be wrong. But if you can uh, find it, if, you, if you're in the Hillsborough area, you can get it from the library or from library to go and listen to the audiobook. And that's good stuff. But I wanted to revisit this one. And I, I was, I wasn't, I have to admit, I wasn't thrilled with the book when I first listened to it. And I'm not sure if I'm totally thrilled with it now, but I definitely appreciate it more than I did listening to it. And I think that's a consequence of the two different media. Is that a consequence of the reader, you think? the uh, Yeah, the reader, right? The guy who narrated no, the, the story? the narrator does a great job. Oh, okay. Um, the, the only exception is um, the Olive or Olivia Wenscombe character in the book is an American, mm-hmm. and his American accent is pretty dodgy. <laughs> but that's okay. I keep thinking, when you mention American accent, I keep thinking of uh, Die Hard. 
with oh, uh, <laughs> oh you're, you're one yeah. of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so james did did you read the book or see the movie a while ago or was this your first time into it now i've seen i saw the movie pretty close to when it first came out i think not in the theaters but shortly after on dvd and i saw the illusionist and the prestige about the same time and for some reason i thought the illusionist was a better movie I can't really tell you why now because it's been so while, been a long time since I've seen both. Uh, but I, I remembered liking the Illusionist more, and I had completely forgotten what the Prestige was about. Nice. Mm. I just remembered the actors that were in it, and I was like, "Oh, these are the Batman Begin guys." Yeah, pretty much <laughs> the cast of Inception. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a theory for why you might have liked the Illusionist better than the Prestige. But let's 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 start talking about the the uh, the book, and uh, maybe I'll spring it on you when we get to the movie. That sounds good. Fair enough. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the book. Colin, do you want to talk about the different things that it does? Well, yeah, you mentioned the framing narrative, how it kind of starts in modern times with a reporter, and he's sent out to go fetch a story, and the story turns out to be a plant, a distraction to really get him out there someplace else so that uh, he can be given a package. And the package ends up being Borden's journal, right? Right. Yeah. And so we find through, I guess I didn't mention you know, anybody listening to this, if you listen to us regularly, you know we pretty much spoil everything. So yep. you're going to want to read the book or watch the movie before you listen to this. Otherwise... Both, because they're totally different. They are kind of different. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like, I guess I, I guess by way of talking about the book, I feel like the book would have had more impact for me if I hadn't seen the film first. Totally. Yeah, I, should, I totally should have listened to you and read the book before I got to the movie. Oh, before you rewatched it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, because you had forgotten enough about both of them. Yeah, no, I had forgotten enough movie. about yeah. the movie where I didn't really remember what had happened. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, my recommendation, and this may show my hand for later on, would be to watch the movie. Um, and then I think I think the book is, is different enough that, that you could still enjoy it. So, I disagree. Of course you do. I, no, no, no. <laughs> that's, I, that's what you're here for. The, the two are quite similar, and we're going to mention this all through this podcast. And so really, you're going to have to choose one versus the other, because once you've read one, the other will lose some effectiveness. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you read it before you watched it, Colin? No, I watched it. And then um, as I read the book, I was always trying to fit the things that I had seen in the movie to this narrative, which made a lot of the differences stand out to me a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I was I was trying not to do that because be, mostly because of Seth's warning. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, but but yeah, I kept thinking to myself, ah, this is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen. Like, god damn it! Yeah. Like you know, I knew about Andrew's stuff, and I knew about Borden's, you know, double twin, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so. I guess, so we were talking about the framing narrative, and this is, it's something that I don't have a lot of use for in books. Um, you know, I didn't like the framing narrative on Frankenstein. I'd rather have gotten just to the story. Um, because, mm. and in, in kind of similar ways to the prestige, it's, it's almost narratives within narratives, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I didn't need that extra layer. And I understand structurally that it makes sense for what, for what Christopher Priest was going for. Right. Because, in, I think in both the book and the movie, both of them present you a mystery and say, uh, we're going to fool you. I think both of them do. And, and, and basically, trying to get you on board with the idea that you're going to get to the end of this and all your questions are not going to be answered. Or if you think you know the answers, you're probably wrong. Which leads to some interesting fan theories, and so I want to get back to that before we wrap up. So there are people that really don't think they understood what was going on at the end of the book or the movie? Yes, that is really? a, that is amazing to me. So I, I'm gonna I want to I want to pick a difference about the framing narrative. Okay, I, I think the framing narrative uh, adds a flavor to the book that's missing in the movie, and it's one of the mm-hmm. things that Christopher Priest himself says he did not like about the movie: the fact that it it lacked that last layer on the outside. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. I, I like the framing narrative. That, that's I liked it for the same reason I liked it in Frankenstein. I, I thought it was a neat way to do it. Uh, mostly because I haven't read a whole lot that does does the narrative that way. Okay, and so it was it was new to me. It was new to me for Frankenstein especially, but I, I I kind of enjoyed it, and I also enjoyed it in Prestige as well. Right. I I guess for me the the framing narrative in the book it serves a crucial purpose because that is the trick. The the framing narrative is because mm-hmm. you have that that thing that happens at the end during the framing narrative part, and so you can't. Since since the movie gets rid of the modern day narrative 
All the action has to be in the past. And so the story is summed up in the past and you don't need that framing narrative. Um, but that well, it's, mean... it's modern as far as the movie goes, though. There's no, there's no switch in tenses. Ex- yeah, exactly. Right. That, yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, okay. Um, so, so I don't object to the, the framing narrative. Just in general, it's something that, that I don't love. Oh. I guess th- this opens up a question that I have about the, um, the cult leader, the bilocating cult leader that is kind of the driving <laughs> force for getting him out, um, to, oh, it's not called low. It's, um, Calderdale, right? Calderdale? Sounds right. Um, I, I think it's the Earl of, of, Coldlow, but it's Coldlow House in Calderdale. I don't know. Um, and this is this is one of those uh, ignorant American things. I don't know how uh, <laughs> how earldoms work. Balderdash. Yes, exactly. Bollocks. Um, but yeah, there, there's he's going out there to pursue a story because he's a journalist, and this is Andrew Wesley, mm-hmm. right? And he's going out there to pursue this story about a cult leader who has been seen in multiple locations at the same time, right. reportedly, right? right? Reportedly, yes. It's never really picked up again. And so, so I wonder, is this just a little thematic sleight of hand kind of thing? Hey, hey, I'm going to tell you about this guy going out to check out someone being in two places at once, and then I'm going to tell you a little story through the journals about someone being in two places at once. Well, no, I think it was just a ruse to get him out there, right? So, okay, so you think the whole thing was totally made up by whatever, what's your name? Kate. Kate, Kate Angier? Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. That's possible. I, I'm willing to go with that. I mean, there. Uh, well, I see what you're saying, though, because... That's exactly what they did, right? Yeah, uh, they were doing the the teleportation thing. It was a it was a decent model for her to follow, I suppose. Sure, Colin. Further comments? So the one of the cool things about both the book and the movie is it gives you a little bit of foundation and I, what I would call magic theory. You know, yes. it, any magic trick has three parts: the pledge, and yeah. that's where the you well, the magician shows you something ordinary, right? And yeah. and the audience agrees to believe <laughs> in what's going to happen. And then there's the turn, which takes the ordinary and makes it the extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And then there's the prestige, Ta-da. which is the revelation. Yeah, which which is kind of the the effect that the trick is is for, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've, the the movie has that that one spot where Borden is talking with um, Sarah's nephew. And he says, you know, never tell anybody the secret. The secret impresses no one. The trick you can use it for, that's, that's everything. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, in the, the book, when it shifts to talking um, kind of from the Borden perspective in the Borden journal, mm-hmm. he lays out his theory of magic and, and what called the pact, right? Yes. And there's two, there's two layers to that as well. The one layer is the pact is you're coming into a theater to see an illusionist. You are signing up to be fooled. And and I am telling you that I'm going to fool you, and you're going to like it anyway, because I'm um, going to do it so well. Yeah, I have, I have a quick thought about the pact. Sure. Okay. Because at first um, I agreed with you that the pact was between the magician and the audience. Yes. But as it progressed, it sounded more like the pact that he was referring to was between himself and his uh, brother. Yes, and that's okay. the other layer of it. I think. Um, because Got it. There, there is a pact between him and his reader, and there's also a pact that's kind of horizontal between him and his brother. Right. Um, okay. and, and this is where I think, because, of course, the central conceit here is that, that Alfred Borden is really Albert Borden and Frederick Borden. Right. And they share a life as Alfred Borden. Yeah. At all times. And so no one is able to detect his method for, you, for the transported man because he has a perfect double. Mm-hmm. Um, but this also means that he is, he's writing a journal – from two different perspectives, and he is living two separate lives, mm-hmm. right? Um, and all the complications that that ensue from there, which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For example, uh, one of the Bordens, and I think it's Alfred, or is it Frederick? Is it Albert, or is it Frederick that falls in love with Sarah? I think it's Albert. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm I'm not sure it's useful to uh, refer refer to them uh, by their different names. I don't think but. we ever figured we ever realized that. Because that the the fact that there was a difference between the two people, uh, like that there wasn't an Albert or Frederick in the movie, and right. they didn't lay that out in the book. Yeah, in in the book you never have, which was at least in the kind of disappointing narrative. to me in the movie actually. Oh, disagree, but no, no, I, I thought it was pretty well laid out. At least maybe, and that's on two watches and a book read, so maybe yeah. I'm maybe I'm biased. No, no, yeah. the the laid out part wasn't the disappointing part was that they revealed it all. I don't think oh, they I should. Gotcha. I don't think they should have done the reveal at the end. Oh, that's the prestige. Yes, you can't end without showing the prestige, and and, and we'll talk about what the prestige actually is. Uh, right, because there's okay. double meaning on that as well. Yeah, 
Um, no, I feel like in the book, in the border narrative, you never do find out. He, no. He never, he never explicitly reveals the twin thing. Yeah. Although it's pretty obvious when you're reading it after having seen the film, which is, which is disappointing because I would have liked to have seen how long the mystery would have held up in the book if I hadn't known. And see, and that's why I was, t- that was exactly what I was talking about earlier. You, I think you can really enjoy one of them, but not yes. both. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can appreciate both, but you, but you lose some enjoyment from, from either. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like if you had gotten the movie spoiled, then you'd be, you'd be totally blown. But, yep. All right. Um, on both of them, if you hadn't read the book. Yeah. But yeah, it, it toward the end of the book, in Angier's journal on Jay, uh, Angier. he's talking with the mm-hmm. reporter, and the reporter is going to reveal everything he's heard about Borden for a certain amount of money. And um, it's laid out. Yes, they were, they were really twins. The hospital evidence was changed. The picture was forged. The No, yeah, the picture was forged because they, were, they had different... Right. Uh, like cheek pads and one was squatting and one was standing up taller. And right. right. Were they even twins in the book? Yes. Or just brothers? I thought they, they were, were twins. Brothers. Okay. They were twin brothers. Yeah. Okay. They just forged all the records. See, I thought it was interesting that they more or less in the, in the Angier portion of the journal, about a third of the way through his story, you learn the secret and then Angier himself rejects it. Yes. Um, and, and decides, nope, that can't have been it. But he's the one who's bad at magic. Well, that's yes. because there was no evidence at the time that he investigated that theory from Koenig, the, the right. reporter. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, what, what was the other thing I want to talk about? Um, I think the thing that I want to talk about was um, the difference in philosophy between the two magicians in the book. Because mm-hmm. you have, and, and, and in the movie, and I, I kind of I, want to talk about all of them. Uh-huh. Did, you have, did you want to say something, James? I was going to say, I thought they were actually similar between the book and the movie. They were similar, but I th- but but some of that I think is me reading back into the book from the movie, because in both the book and the movie, Angier is terrible at spotting methods. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a wonderful showman, right? Yeah, Morton- that's the, from the, from the generalist perspective. Angier is a fantastic performer, horrible magician, and Borden is the complete opposite. He's a great magician but a horrible performer. I would say yeah. engineer and performer, because together they that makes a magician. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, that that's that's a good point. Although the book does not say that Borden is a terrible performer. That's more that's brought out more in the movie. And I think that's a thing that happens in adaptations, yeah. right? Yeah, but in the book you essences. in the book you get the sense that he has to work more at being a performer than Angier yes. does. Yeah. And Angier has and Angier has to work more at being a magician than a performer. Yeah, which leads to his perspective that magicians should reveal their methods and people will enjoy it anyway. That they should perform in the round, remember? Yeah. That whole thing. He wants them to perform on a round stage so that some people are going to be able to see the workings of the of the effect. Where Borden right. is all about the secret. Yeah. And it's because of the way he lives his life, right? Yeah. Well, I thought the whole thing was actually kind of ironic. Because they together they could have been an awesome team, right? Complimenting yeah. Oh, yeah. each other. Yep. And then even Angier comes to that realization and says such in the book. Yeah. It's doubly ironic because Angier later boxes the stage. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so he, he's the one who had previously <laughs> militated for for revealing all the methods. And then he was the one who boxed the stage so that nobody could see it. And right. you don't you don't get any of that. And I feel like one thing the book does really, really well is talk more about the craft of of stage illusion. Mm-hmm. Where it really kind right. of draws you into the way the methods work and 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 just things about the architecture of the um auditorium the the theater and that was cool i like that yeah. like i'd never heard of boxing the stage for instance yeah me either right but you know the boxing of the stage uh and, and actually the movie does it really really well because not only do they box the stage but all of the people handling the stage items were blind yeah and that's only in in the uh the latest narrative in the in the movie yes so, yeah but right. let's before we talk about that let's finish up talking about the book yeah. One other problem I have with the framing narrative is that it features Andrew, who remembers having a twin. And mm-hmm. and that is slowly spun out. That's one of the other mysteries that's slowly spun out, that his, was it his father? I guess it wasn't been his father, had come to the estate, to the Anger estate, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and essentially tried to, like they periodically tried to reconcile. The two families. Right. The two families. So yeah. actually, we, sh- we should take a step back. So not only was there a feud between Borden and Angier, but this feud kept going down through their descendants. Yeah. And it, it, I think there were at least three generations involved. 
Yeah, I think I think Borden and Angier were the gen- were the grandparents. Yeah, they're, yeah. no, no, they were great grandparents. That, that sounds yeah, that could be. Yeah. So think twice before picking that fight with your neighbor. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were they were injured. They were publicly mm-hmm. humiliated, uh, and they made it a goal to go and try and uh, uh, disturb each other's shows. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting how um, one thing I like about the book as well is the 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 fact that it, it sets out to deceive you, mm-hmm. and then you say, you have the story told in parallel narratives, one from Borden's perspective and one from Angier's perspective, and they don't match at every detail. No. No. And and having now read the book all the way through once, and I, re- I reread another portion of it and listened to the audiobook twice, you know, I went back and checked, wait, did that happen? And then I noticed, no, it didn't happen exactly that way in the Borden narrative. But... Each right. of them is the hero of their own narrative, and they tell it in the most flattering way for themselves. Yeah. Well, and in Borden's case, who knows who was writing down the the sequence of events that happened, perhaps related by the other person. Right. right. And the, and the, so the one the one point that I feel like really kind of juxtaposes the difference in perspective is something that's completely um, novel <laughs> to the book is that Angier started off as a charlatan, um, spiritist. Doing right. seances. Doing seances and stuff. And from, from Borden's perspective, right? Well, he absolutely was a charlatan. He was taking well, people's money. Yeah. Maybe they were getting some comfort out of it, but they were still having someone come in and do a performance for them that wasn't based on anything genuine. And they were parting with their money. So he was ripping them off in some way. But Borden, the, the first act that, that happens is Borden... Well, I guess Angier came and did a seance for Borden's aunt, I think. Sounds right. And Borden realizes this is just stage illusion that's happening here. And so he sets out to sabotage it. Mm-hmm. And when he does sabotage it, some violence is done to Angier's wife. Borden doesn't know the extent of it during his journal right. entry. And his conscience is smitten, and he writes a letter of apology to Angier. And that could have mm-hmm. been the end of it, but Angier spurns his attempt to reconcile. And he never tells him why. Right. But then when you actually read the Angier portion of it, you find out that, Sarah, that I'm sorry, that um, Julia? Julia Julia yeah. was pregnant and she miscarried. And so, so all of a sudden the stakes are much higher. Mm-hmm. And so in the Borden narrative, you can see him being confused. I don't know why this guy's such a jerk. You know, I tried to apologize. I would have liked to have reconciled. But then once Angier didn't reconcile, Borden evidently set out to sabotage him even further. Um, and so it's... It's one of those kind of unfortunate things that if they just talked to each other a little bit at the beginning, <laughs> it, it, it all could have come out better. Right. Yeah. And you end up having a story with two antiheroes. You do. They're both the hero of their own story. Yeah. And the other guy is the enemy. I do like, though, and, and I was curious, Colin, if you like this, because um, toward the end, when Angier is reading Borden's notebook, he actually kind of expresses regret and, and said that they, they should have been friends. Yeah, and so it's like like mini mini redemption story, or like should have been a redemption story. Yeah, but at that point, all the damage has been done. Yeah, it has. to to them, to their families. Yeah, I, I, the other thing though, by the time he has regrets, both of them have done detestable things. Yeah, and so I found it I found it hard to like really either one of them in the book or in the movie. Uh, no, in the movie, I I actually did a little bit more. Okay, well we'll get back to that. Um, I just like Tesla. He was the best in all of it. True. <laughs> yes. All right. So what else we got in the book? Well, you descend, like we've said, you descend up and down these different levels of, of, of hierarchy. So you start off with what's happening in the present time, and then you start off with one novel or one set of uh, one memoirs, story. one yeah. diary. Yeah. Um, and one then you pop back up, and then you go down two levels. And through to, that- To Angier commenting on that whole thing. Right, right. And then you, you yeah. kind of pop back up to the top, and then there's this great big- I'd almost say gothic style horror finish. Yeah, and and I guess th- that's yeah something we we didn't really talk about. Like, is this science fiction? It's it's barely. I mean, it's kind of genre bending. It 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 veers toward fantasy. I think. Uh, I don't know. He does he does use Tesla's machine to teleport himself. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. We, we should we should maybe we should fill in a little bit more. He uses he uses because he he even admits that a little bit. He he talks about how this is actually science, and he has to play it so it seems magical and not it's, it's scientific. Like right? Steampunk science, though, right? It's all analog science. 
Yes. No, nothing quantum right. going on. <laughs> yeah. And so, Colin, True. I think you're, you're getting at the, like, the major difference between the book and the movie is the difference of the machine. Well, yeah, but, but I think we need to like lead up to the machine. Yeah. Right? So, Borden has this incredible stage illusion, and Angier can't figure it out. Even though he's been told by his engineer uh, how it works, he's just obsessed by it. And so, he ends up, and this is where I'm a little foggy on the book since I read it about a month ago, but he ends up getting... Borden's notes, which are encoded, and then he blackmails Borden to get the the cipher key to decode it. It turns out to be the name Tesla. Mm-hmm. So he travels to the United States and convinces Tesla to build a machine, the same one that he built for Borden. That's the movie. That's the movie. Yeah, that's the movie. That's not that's not quite how it happened in the book. Okay, fill me in, man. Fill me you in. You more recently read the book, James, so you <laughs> fill it in. Oh, the so in the book, the what's her name, Olivia. Just gave him the name uh, Tesla, right? She didn't actually give him a journal like in the movie, right? He didn't did, get the journal till later. But did the, okay. did the name Tesla come from Borden? Yeah, through through Olivia. Yeah. Okay, because because that was something that was different. Where and then he Olivia went to the U.S. Knew, to hunt right. down Tesla and come up. He, he was at the point I think he was waning in his career, and he was trying to figure out some way to revive it. Basically, yeah. And so he went to the U- him, in the book. He went to the U.S., found Tesla up in Colorado, and told him, "Hey, I want this machine that can teleport me." Yeah. And Tesla is hurting for funds, and so he agrees to build a teleporter. But the teleporter has a little twist. Yes, which right. is different than the twist in the movie. It's different than the which twist I in the movie. We, we, yeah, we, we got to blow it here. Uh, is it? It is. It is. How so? The prestige of the book. Dies. The prestige of the movie dies. <laughs> Only because he drops him down into a tank full of water and seals it and then he drowns. Right. And so to me, that was, that was, oh, it was delectably horrible. It was almost Stephen yeah. King esque. In the oh, movie. Oh, I see what in you're the saying. In the movie. Yeah. 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 So in, in the book, the idea is that somehow the copy is made and that there's a shell left behind that's now right. lifeless. Right, right. Um, I, some of this I thought was a little inconsistent in the book, and this is this is one of the problems that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, that he talks about how after the incomplete transportation, after after Borden comes down and pulls the plug on the machine because he thinks it's about to burst into flames, mm-hmm. he is now thirty pounds lighter. Right, right, and so that's fine. And 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 the, I guess the idea is that in a, in normal times you would end up with a shell of a body that was probably significantly lighter and also dead. Right. When, when they're testing the machine initially, they send an iron rod, and the major notable effect is that the rod left behind is now very cold. So that, that gives the idea that the energy has been taken out of it in some way. Mm-hmm. So, But then he also talks about how he was building up his estate by taking some gold through every time with him. Yes. The idea that the gold was multiplied. Mm-hmm. So did that mean that the gold that was left behind didn't quite weigh as much? Did it not weigh as much? Or yeah, was it he, just- he actually says that in the book. He may, he feels like the gold was lighter. Okay, because I was wondering. If, I, I was kind of defeating myself in in that yeah. because I with the with the rod, it was just like the energy was taken out of it, and right, yeah, mass energy. I, I get, but maybe I was thinking maybe the gold would just be cold now. But no, and it is confusing, and I thought it was also inconsistent. Hmm. Um, That's why it's science fiction. Yeah. So, yeah. Talk about spoilers. So the final teleportation that Angier does actually splits him into two pieces. Right. There's a body left behind that is weak and sick. And then there's a, an astral Angier. A wraith. A wraith who can hold some, some amount of matter, but he can also pass through doors. Right. And the, the corporeal Angier dies and the astral one decides he's going to go on and try and get revenge and then he just wants to live his life and blah, 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 blah. But the point being that up to that point, there have been multiple copies of Angier's body made. Right. And right. and the whole thing about the, the, you know, the, the initial character, the guy in modern times, is he thinks he has a twin because he thinks he's getting psych- psychic messages from his twin. Yes. And it turns out that when he was a child, he was put through the Tesla teleporter and out came him and this husk of a shell that yeah. was buried on the Angier family mausoleum and it's purportedly they're talking to one another but despite mm-hmm. Angier having been copied 
dozens or you know hundreds of times there's no sense of that you know doubling or psychic echoing going on yeah that was one of my major problems with that. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because i wondered why doesn't he get messages from these hundreds of copies that he made yeah and they they seem to be uh I- immortal in a way yeah and and certainly the i, I wanted to talk about what happened at wait, the wait, end who, of the who, what do you mean they seem to be immortal the prestige bodies they they don't oh decay. and that they don't decay oh okay. they don't I decay see. for a second there I thought you were talking about the 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 wraith Angier. well he doesn't die which, either which does seem to be immortal actually but he's not they he's just one person yes. hey, <laughs> there's one other kind of inconsistent thing that I that I want to talk about and that is, is where did Angier's journal come from so I went and reread the the Kate Angier chapter okay where she uh-huh. talked about uh, the the disappearance of Nikki and the appearance of Andrew. Right when when he got cloned when he was a kid. Uh-huh. The other part is that Andrew remembers nothing of that night. Right. So he right. evidently retained no memories prior to the transformation. Right. Everything that we learned about Angier when he used the machine was that that his new copy remembered everything previous to that. Well, there was nothing for him to remember. He was too young, right? I guess you could, maybe the trauma of it blacked it out. I guess I guess I could retcon it that way. Yeah. My my thinking was that he was just too he was just too young to remember anything. I mean, what do you remember from two years old? <laughs> was that was that how old he was? I thought he was like five. No, I think he, he was like he two was or very three. young. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, that that makes sense. Then I'm willing to credit that. And as far as the journal goes, Kate talks about how methodical her grand great grandfather was. Right. Everything was carefully labeled and organized, and mm-hmm. she had found this in his records. And so you know, the journal was started by Angier. Yeah, continued by corporeal Angier and finalized by astral Angier, who yeah. in a fit of despair decides he's going to teleport himself into one of the previous bodies and re- re- bear, uh, rebirth himself that way. Right. And and I do want to talk about what happened there. But that section of the book also more or less says that the journal was lost or destroyed. No, no, he just hid it. He put it in a spot that wouldn't be found by the next generation of Angiers, but the... A generation or two after that. Okay. You're sure about that? Yeah. Okay. Cause that dude, was, I, just, I just read it, dude. Yeah, that was a question I had. <laughs> and and so I wanted to, to bring up, um, we got uh, some interactions on Twitter from, from Bill Rusum. Oh. And, and he had sent me some, some email. And that was one question he had was, where did the journal come from? And I, I had no answer for him because I didn't. And I went back and looked and I didn't find where the oh. journal had come from. But is that in the Angier section? Uh, yeah, if I, yeah, I think okay. so. I, that's what I remember okay. from, you know. An hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of, of procrastination. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't, he didn't want to leave it to where it would be found um, in any kind of short order because he didn't want his ancestors feeling guilty about the gold that was there. Okay. Uh, because he had documented the fact that he was uh, duplicating the gold with the Tesla apparatus. Okay. So he, he, he hid it such that it would be found eventually, but not by the succeeding, the immediate succeeding generation. Okay. Yeah. So what happened at the end, Colin, do you, do you think, in the book? Did he succeed in jumping into one of those bodies? No. So you think that the, the form that Andrew encounters at the end, where there more or less is reconciliation? Between the two families, finally, yeah. you know, a hundred years later. But you think that's the spectral Angier? I think that is the spectral Angier at the end. Okay. Reconciliation through marriage, maybe. It's very European. <laughs> oh, you think Andrew, Andrew and Kate are going to get married now? Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, nothing like the death of your twin to bring bring you together with, with somebody, right? Right. Yeah. Well, she reunited them. That's she's, a good point. She's, she's a hero. Yeah. She's the hero of that novel. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting if, if Andrew had be- become indoctrinated with the Borden family mythos growing up, if they could have been uh, reunited like that. Because... Mm. He was searching for this answer and then learned out that he was a Borden and what it meant to be right. a Borden and about the history of the two families. Yeah. I, I wanted to, by the way, uh, thank Bill for, for reaching out to us. Um, he had also brought up that question about um, why Angier was never getting psychic messages from his prestigious. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's an inconsistency. Although uh, I'm hoping that Christopher Priest will uh, – you know, maybe hear our podcast and then school us. Tell us why yeah. we're idiots. And <laughs> I, I have a theory that that somehow it's just the fact that that Andrew didn't remember what had happened, 
And so there was like a disconnect between the two psyches somehow. Um, and maybe that's, that's why there were, why he felt that loss where Angier knew what he was doing every time he stepped into the machine. So I don't know, maybe. maybe. As a principle of science, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. Which yeah. did that, does that lead you to think it's more fantastical than scientific? A little bit, but I don't mind. It's, well, it's nice and steampunky. Along the same lines, of what you just said, um, as in he knew what he was doing. Because at the beginning, when he first started doing the teleportation gig, he was having uh, like mental and physical problems with it. Right? right, where he was... He, he he was having mental issues going through it, where he was getting depressed, and like he was hearing things, and he wasn't... He had a hard time um, being in that reality, because he had yeah. just died. Uh, yeah, but true. eventually, he fortified himself... To the point where he was okay with it going forward. Yeah, he was seeking Because he knew what he was doing. That reminded me of The Fly. Yeah. <laughs> when the Jeff Goldblum character wants to keep going through because he feels like it's purifying right. him. Right, yeah. Um, but but Andrew didn't have that same, uh, I guess, foreknowledge to realize what was going on and try and mentally fortify himself against that psychic connection. Yeah. Yeah. So, just, I don't know, that's, that's kind of what I was... That's what well. That's what I thought reading it. Okay. Well, uh, do we want to sum up on the book? Any any final thoughts on that, Colin? Yeah, I found it hard to like any character in the book. If I have okay. any complaint about the book, that would be it. That's See, the I same complaint like, you have in the movie. Well, no, the, the, he doesn't have the same complaint. But <laughs> no, uh, I feel like oh, okay. the book presents Angier more as the hero because he's yeah. the one that is most aggrieved. Right now, he he does at some point set out to murder Borden. But then doesn't because but he doesn't he can't do it. Go, he doesn't go through, through it. it. Yeah. yeah, which which I appreciated. Right. But but since you know he he lost a child to miscarriage, um, and then then he was you know died of cancer and was turned into this spectral form by Borden's actions. Even though Borden's actions were not ill intended, and in really either case, no, yeah, um, he felt it, Borden would have felt morally justified at upsetting the apple cart on on Angier's fake seance things. Um, but the fact that 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 resulted in the loss of a child that's that's pretty heavy. But I I did feel like the book more came down on the side of uh, Angier as as the hero. But I would agree. I felt but the not same by way. much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I ended up feeling more sorry for Angier overall at the end. I think than yeah. Borden. Yeah. Uh, well, what do we think? I mean, you recommend the book. What do you think, James? Uh, I would recommend the book. Uh, yeah, I would recommend the book as a. In regards to what Colin was saying about you can either do one or the other, yeah, I would recommend doing the book before the movie. Okay, what are you? What about you, Colin? Yeah, I would recommend the book. It was it was a good read. I remember. Do you remember what Tim said after we watched it all together at my house? I believe he said, "I really like that movie, and I never want to see it again." Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it's not something like I, I read The Martian four times in six months. Yeah. Right. Um, you will not do that with this book. Well, uh, no, unless not. that thing's, unless that kind of a thing is, <laughs> is your, uh, is your preference. Yeah. Right. I might, I might read this one again just to get a better handle on the mystery. Oh yeah. Because sure. I, I do feel like it was spelled out pretty well, but there are details that I'd, I'd like to get more solid. Yeah. So, and certainly if you're out there and you think that we've totally missed the boat on what happened in the book, please feel free to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Feedback at pavementpodcast.com. Or post something on our Facebook page, making fun of us. Right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Why don't we um, move into the movie? Okay. Uh, so like you said at the top, Colin, this is one of my favorite films. Um, when, when I go about kind of ranking stuff, this one comes out near the top. I, I might have to put the Shawshank Redemption ahead of it, but that's because it's the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. But this was, it was the first Blu-ray I ever bought. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those movies that I, I've watched it a ton. I, it's it's like there have been times where I've been working from home and I wanted some background noise, um, and it's not like this is a noisy movie, um, but, but it's got some it's got some atmosphere to it, and and I've I put it on the background. It's a beautiful movie, um, beautifully filmed, and I love the costuming. I hmm. there are very few negative things I can say about this film actually, despite the fact that there is absolutely no clear <laughs> hero. It's one that is one of the points that I really like about it. I like that it kind of bucks the trend of having an obvious hero and an obvious villain. And th- and this is the major thing that I like better about it than The Illusionist, James. <laughs> the Illusionist is a very traditional kind of story. It's, uh-huh. it's a caper movie. Yeah. Um, and, and it's set in Victorian times and it's, it's a lovely film, I'm sure. Um, and I enjoyed it. It's, they're the same movie. 
They are not the same. <laughs> it's, I feel like the illusionist is much more by the numbers, and, and this is, right. I don't know. It, it, from an artistic standpoint, I much prefer the prestige. Fair enough. I don't remember the illusionist now either, so I can't really tell you. I'm halfway tempted to go watch it again, though. <laughs> this, was, this was my theory about why James likes the illusionist better than the prestige. The illusionist has a clear hero. It's got a good story. It's, it's interesting. It's got some action. The only thing the prestige ha- has is perpetrators looking for revenge and all of their victims. And pretty much everybody mm. in the story is a victim, uh, unless they're perpetrating damage on somebody else. Wow. Everybody's a victim? Julia is a victim. Yeah. Sarah is a victim. Olive, Olive becomes a victim in the story, or in the movie, where in the book, she's a perpetrator. Hmm. Uh, the little daughter is a victim. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. With that being said, though, Colin, you said that you can get behind somebody in the in the movie. Who is it? I kind of like the last Borden. Okay. So you like the... You like the Borden that kills Angier? You support murder? <laughs> Colin, do you support murder, Colin? I do not support murdering Colin. <laughs> I may be violently opposed to it. Yeah, um, yeah. I I feel like he's the one to get behind because he he was the one who didn't want to keep bothering Angier. He wanted to leave him with his secret. Yep. And you don't necessarily get that on the first viewing. When you when you watch it on repeat viewings, you kind of get to learn which one of them is is the Borden. The first Borden and which one is the one? The one in prison is the one I think of as Fallon. And the one outside the prison is the one I think of as Borden. Even though, of course, the Borden who's not in the prison is Fallon at the beginning of the movie in that modern frame. Yes. And, and this is one thing that I really like about the movie. I like that they replaced the framing narrative with the prison narrative. I think it was an interesting way to, to mm. do a similar thing. To, you know, have, have Owens come and hand off the Angier journal. And then within the Angier journal, you have Angier reading Borden's journal that Olivia gave him. Yes. Which I think is a great, it's kind of Inception-like, right? You go, you go down multiple uh, It's very Batman Begins-like. Yeah. Well, which is very Christopher Nolan-like. Yeah. And I <laughs> like the nonlinear narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, uh, Christopher Priest had the ability to handpick Christopher Nolan to direct this movie. Yes. Yeah, I watched, I'll, I'll put in an interview, if I can find it. I, I've... I found it some at some point. I'll, I'll I'll put it back in there where he he wanted to give Christopher Nolan a chance because he was a pretty young director at that time. Well, and he had made some works that he really really liked. Yeah, um, Memento and the one that came before that. Following. Following. Yeah. Yeah. Although he's not a big fan of his fall uh, of his uh, more recent Superhero movies. films. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even Inception. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I know he didn't he didn't care for the Batman ones because he didn't think that making Batman more real was the right way to go, which I totally disagree with. But yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the movie the movie drops the framing narrative and Angier's wife dies immediately, which makes him a very, very clear antagonist for Borden. Uh, yeah. Okay. What I would say is that the, one thing that the movie does really well is it sets them up as former friends, essentially, former colleagues, uh-huh. because uh-huh. it has them starting off in the same place. Where in the book, they started off in very different places right. and they only came together at the very, kind of at the very beginning before Borden was really on the stage. No, I guess he was on the stage, but they come together in a different way in the book. And they, they come together immediately with antagonism in the book, where in the movie, it has them right. start off as sort of friends, definitely colleagues, right? Yes. And then, then you have that terrible accident where Julia dies, which is totally different than the book. Right. In the book, she, you know, she loses a baby. So I feel like the, the stakes in that sense were sort of higher in the, in the movie because of the actual death of the spouse. You know, the, the robbing Angier of his family entirely because he has no children in the movie. Well, then it also introduces the beginning of the secret because he'll ask Borden, which knot did you tie? And he says yeah. with his completely deadpan face, I don't know. Yeah. And he becomes obsessed with trying to figure out, you know, did he tie the knot? The one that he thought was better but was harder to slip? Or was it an accident? Yeah. And this is where, to me, in the movie, Angier falls out of the hero narrative much more quickly than Borden does. Because he comes to, to Borden, uh, slips a bullet into the bullet catch trick, right. and, and is ready to shoot him. And if, if Fallon doesn't knock his arm out of the way, then he probably succeeds. Yeah, right. But it costs him, right? He ends up losing two fingers. Right. And so yeah. does his brother. And so does his brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because that's part of the of the Borden Pact. What happens yeah. to one brother has to happen to the other. Yeah. Right. So the thing that I love about the movie, and it's it's kind of the same thing as the book, is that the movie structures itself like a magic trick and says, 
uh, toward the end, you know, you, now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because you're not really looking. And the first time through, I never picked up on the twin thing. Really? Yeah. I never picked up on the twin thing the first time through the movie. Ah, you I, Philistine. <laughs> I did pick up on, because the movie more or less shows you that the machine is a cloning machine. And so, so I had kind of figured that out by the end. Wait, you, and oh, you figured the twin thing out at the end? No, I didn't figure out the twin thing. I figured out how Angier's machine worked because it shows it. Oh, right? yeah. I like the fact that it withheld it as long as it did. And in, when Borden is reading the journal, it says, here at the turn, I must leave you. Right. Like, and it doesn't actually show what happens when he first uses the machine. But was that what you were objecting to, James, that they showed too much at the end? Yeah. Now, are you talking about the twins or about the way the machine actually worked or both? The twins. Okay. So you would have rather finished the movie never knowing that no, yeah, with the, that little end the narrative, uh, like where he, where Borden explains how everything happened, lays it out as he, after he, well, after he stabs, uh, Anjir and waits for him to die, he's telling him, laying shoots out him. everything he did, or shoots him, yeah. Uh, yeah, See, that's, that's the part I object to. I don't think the movie works if you don't have that section, though, because but that, I already know in that. <laughs> no, no, but that's, that's the end where you have that interaction with them, where, where you have that, that difference in philosophy juxtaposed again, where Angier says, you, you never understood. You know, the audience knows the truth. The word, world is simple and solid all the way through. But if you can fool them, even for a moment, you know, it's the look on their faces. And that was what it was about for, for Angier, you know, right. about taking the bow. Where, where for Borden, it was all about the secret, all about the trick that you could do with the secret. Well, and there's even a second thing, which I think you have to reveal the twin. Borden tells Angier he doesn't understand sacrifice. And so without right. understanding that they gave up half a life and the happiness of their families and their mistresses and two of their fingers each, mm -hmm. right? And then Angier gets to come back and say, oh, no, I understand sacrifice pretty yeah, well it, myself. I like that. Right. You know, it takes nothing to steal another man's work. It takes everything. He says. Yeah. Because the, one of the differences between the book and the movie is that the Tesla teleporter in the movie does not produce a dead prestige. Right. It produces a live one. And Angier, who is obsessed with revenge on Borden, realizes what it can be used to do. So mm -hmm. he can duplicate himself, kill one of himself, and frame Borden. And so the entire – his entire final show – has nothing to do with magic. It's only about revenge on Borden. Right. He wants to lure him in knowing that the secret will eat at him. And it, it's interesting, too, because Borden had always been able to spot the secret. Uh-huh. He, 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 he said, I can spot your methods from the back of the stage, right? Or the back of the mm -hmm. theater. Back and of the theater, back yeah. of the stage would have been much easier. Um, <laughs> but so when he, when he can't, it, it's like it's, it's a splinter in his mind, right? It's, it's driving him crazy that he can't work it out. And there's a, there's a good scene between Borden and Fallon when he's like, you know, why can't you outthink him? Yeah. And then, then, of course, he says, you know, you know, leave him alone. He can keep his secret. I don't need it. And that one didn't need it, but the other one did. Yep. Right. He had to know. So one, th one thing that the book, I think, does really, really well, and I, I saw an interview with Christopher Priest, I think it was in the extended materials on the, on the Blu-ray, was he was talking about how the book is set out, of course, with literary devices, mm -hmm. where the movie uses visual ones. Yes. Um, and so there's a, there's a ton of visual metaphors that happen, like the birds in the cages. You see that over and over and over. And right. that um, in order for a bird to escape a cage, a bird has to die. And, and there's that scene with uh, Sarah and her nephew, right? Where's its brother? Yeah. And like, so that's, that's the thing that I think is so brilliant about the film is the first time you watch it, you don't necessarily pick up on those things, but he told you right there that the bird in the cage dies and that the other bird escapes. And that's totally what happens. Now, the question is if that's accidental or if that's purposeful. With the birds? Yeah. You mean with the birds in that trick? Whether or not the bird is symbolic of the Bordens. Oh, it absolutely is. In, I, in, in in watching the extended materials, he, he he says explicitly this was used as a metaphor. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, it, it can't be accidental. Um, it's it's pretty explicit, especially after you watch it a number of times. But and there's a lot of um, references to twos to pairs of things in the movie. There's one of them where if you watch this one scene, Angier puts on a jacket, and then it it switches to somebody else, and it goes back to him, and he's putting on his jacket again. And you think maybe that's just a goof, but I don't think so. I think I think that's a little a little nod, something that you would pick up on repeat viewings. Huh. So, okay, so one thing I, I really like is the rubber ball used in the trick, um, where it, then it's also used to escape the prison, because one one guy goes into a box, he throws the ball to the other one, the other guy comes out, 
Right. And so, and so you have Borden at the end when he's reunited with his daughter and he has the little rubber ball because that's how he escapes. But he doesn't escape. No, not really. Take sacrifice for a good trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised we, we talked as long as we did on the book. By covering the book, you talk a lot about the movie. You do. Right. Um, David Bowie was pretty awesome as Tesla. <laughs> that was one of the things Christopher Priest liked the least. He didn't really? like David Bowie? He said his acting was woody and uh, he didn't like it. He thought that the music was horrible. And uh, I disagree on all of that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what was the other thing? He liked Scarlett Johansson in the role, but thought that she wasn't used to her full potential. No, she wasn't. And she should have been American because her English accent was really dodgy. It's funny, though, because, because of course, um, Hugh Jackman is putting on an American accent through most of the film before it's yeah. revealed at the end that he's actually English. And in both cases, you can hear his Australian accent leak through a few times when, if you watch the movie a dozen times. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and, and if you're a guy who's into nice. accents like I am. so Right. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's a question I have about, about Angier in the movie. If his machine works and it creates a clone... Uh huh. Why not clone himself and do the trick the way Borden did? He's got a perfect double now. I think because of the issues he had with the previous double. Well, but it's him. Yes, and yeah, but he still has to deal with another person though. Yeah, right. and he knows how he thinks. Yeah, that's true. I think it never crossed his mind to share the lives the way Borden did, mm-hmm. yeah. and to switch to be to so one would be the prestige and then the other would be the prestige. Right. I don't think it ever crosses. I think it's a lack of creativity and kind of, kind of, um, well, I don't think he would have wanted to do that though in the first place. Cause he hated the fact that he had to be under stage the whole time the, while he was doing it the other time. Right. But they could have switched, but I think there was a lack of creativity there in his thought. And, and so he, because oh, he suggested, he suggests that to Cutter at some point. What, what if, uh, Root goes into the, into the pit and I come up, what if, you know, can't we switch? And, and Cutter says, no, no, we need your showmanship leading up right. to it. That's everything. Which is totally true. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I, one thing I thought was was a, a good choice in the movie was having Angier injure his leg, because then whenever he's limping, you know which time frame you're in. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Right. No, not whenever, but but in the in the uh, Colorado Springs part. You, you kind of always know you're there right. because he's got a cane. I, I really liked David Bowie as, as Tesla. I didn't, I didn't think his accent was anything special. Um, certainly didn't sound Serbian to me. Right. Hey, was it Serbian? Yeah. 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 Um, but, but I liked that, uh, that scene with them having lunch or something in, in Colorado Springs. And he says, have you considered the cost of such a thing? And Angier says, money isn't a problem. And <laughs> it's not what te- I'm Tesla's about. <laughs> like, no, just go home. Right. This, <laughs> yeah. This thing, no good will come of it. Yep. And he's right. You know, to be honest, I didn't think his performance was so bad. He was supposed to be odd. Yeah, I And so, him. as an affectation to be very emotionless and, you know, reserved and withdrawn, I think it worked pretty well. Yeah. Although, to be honest... Yeah, I would think so. The second time I watched the movie, I thought that Andy Serkis was, was supposed to be Tesla playing his own assistant. Because <laughs> I thought that would have been totally Tesla-like. Oh, no, Mr. Tesla's way too busy to talk to you right now. <laughs> You're thinking of... Uh... Of Batman Begins, right? With um, Ducat, or not not Ducat, that's uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, whatever the, the, uh, the name of uh, Ducard, that's right, of, of Liam Neeson's alter ego. Mm-hmm. Yes, he reveals playing uh, Ra's al Ghul. Ghul. Yeah. All right, well, um, other things to talk about about the movie. I, yeah, I love it. It's, it's fantastic, but not everybody loves it. Uh, some statistics. Mm-hmm. About a 40 million, uh, let me pull them up real quick so I've got them. I don't misquote them. Uh, a forty million dollar budget made about a hundred and ten million dollars in the box office. Not oh, nice. exactly a smash, but no, but successful. Yeah, quite successful. That's a good and seventy six percent fresh at Rotten Tomatoes, so the critics liked it. Uh, it's it's not a horrible movie. It's just it's like Tim said, it was a great movie that I don't know that I want to watch in the near future again. Yeah. See, I keep I keep watching it over and over um, <laughs> just because I I love the art of it, um, and I love the performances. Other than um, Scarlett Johansson's bad accent, but I wanted to talk about some fan theories because if you if you dive down Reddit on the Prestige, you find a lot of them. Oh and yes, I'm going to put one of them in the in Please the. Please do. Let's ridicule fan theories. I love. Yes. It. So, sure. <laughs> um, one theory is is pretty simple that Borden, in fact, did get the machine from Tesla, used it to duplicate himself, and so he was never twins. He was just clones. Right. Wrong. For a while, I was thinking that in the book, actually. Yeah. Yeah, because there were no rec- there was no record. Because no, there was no records. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. If the reporter didn't come back into the narrative and say that all the records were falsified, 
the pictures were faked, then I could believe that. But it also says that he had never built the machine before. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 though. So you're talking about the book and the movie. So in the in the movie, at some point, um, Gordon uh, says, yeah, you know, uh, yes, we sent you out of the country. Good luck. Tesla was just the code key, not the method, right? So then he goes... Um, there's the question, of course, can we trust Borden's journal? And I'm not sure we can, but when, right. when Angier confronts Ali about it, he says, you never built the machine. And Ali said, when it, we never said we built the machine. So it's not a total denial or a, a total uh, kind of confirmation that he didn't build the machine, but I think, I think you're right. I think they didn't build it for Borden. Right. And so I don't think there's anything to support that theory. That, nope. that Borden mm. and Borden were, were clones. Thumbs down. So the other theory is that the machine never worked at all, that Angier always used a double, and that that is the, the real trick. The trick is the movie gets you to believe that the machine worked because Angier wanted Borden to think that the machine worked. Uh, so that's, that's the trick. Like, it's the meta trick. What? Except for those old dead bodies. Right. Nope, yeah. those are wax molds floating, floating in, uh, in water. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it, there's one other thing you have to assume there, at least one other thing. And I'll work on the others as I explain the first. Okay. Uh, you have to assume that the double who has intimate knowledge of the trick and all of its workings will not know that he's going to be dropped into a water tank with the lid falling on it and being locked. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and here's the other thing that wasn't the double. The double is the guy that comes or the guy the guy that comes up at the end, which means the ori- original Angier right. would be the one going down into the tank, and yeah. that's totally outside of his character. Which it is the original Angier that dies every time. Yes, it is. And but he doesn't know that. But he never knows because the memories of the copy do not have the memories of drowning. Because, because it happens, happens after, after the copy. Right, because it happens yeah. after the copy, yeah. Yeah, and so he says at the end, I didn't know if I was the one who went into the box or the prestige. And and yet when he tests the machine, he's standing there. He's got a gun next to him. Yep. And His double appears and he shoots double. it. Yeah. yeah. And so he knows that. No, he, person... he knows that the guy he's dropping in there is dead, dying. Yes, but since he doesn't have the memory of it, he doubts it. And so, so he do, he knows, but he doesn't know. I think. Uh, that's that's crap. But anyhow, I don't think that the fan theory works um, because for a couple different reasons. One, Cutter would have recognized if it was root on the table. And right not, and not because there was there was wardrobe and makeup that was used. Of course, in the film, he's played by Hugh Jackman, and so he looks a lot more like him than in reality. And yes. in the book, it talks <laughs> yeah. about him looking very much like him, but not exactly. Yeah, they have to work on his gait and his yeah. mannerisms. And the other part is Borden would have spotted it. the The whole point was I can spot your methods from the back of the theater, and right. he wouldn't have been fooled by a double. And so that's that's the thing that to, to me makes it completely fall apart that the machine didn't work. Yeah, because he right. tried it once, and Borden found Root and planted the idea. Did 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 this guy not watch the movie? Yeah, all these people watch the movie. I'll, I'll put. I'll I put don't the think they did. There. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they haven't watched it multiple times. I, I guess like not. I only watched it once, and they're obviously. Well, that's not true. I lied. I watched it twice. Yeah, but with a significant gap in between the the two <laughs> watchings. So, However, sure. it's clear that the machine worked in the movie. The guy shot his double when it worked. Yes. Well, but that was told through his journal. Oh, no, it really wasn't. That wasn't told through no. his journal. And, and that's, no. that's, that's a mistake that the people make in the fan theory, because that was not told through his journal. That was what Angier was, when he was relating it to Borden at the end, after he'd been shot. But even then, he could have been unreliable. So if you, if you throw out that bit of evidence, Your Honor, um, <laughs> then, then, then you're left with the other kind of implication stuff, and I still don't think it holds up. Right. No, so that, that's the last fan theory. Oh, okay. um, that, that I wanted to talk about anyway. And they're interesting things. On the other hand, like the big picture, I know that the movie is setting out to fool me and it's telling me you're looking for the secret and you won't find it because you're not really looking. You want to be fooled. And right then it, it kind of reveals the whole, all the tanks of, of guys, right? And so that, that does make me wonder though, wait, am I being fooled? Is, is there something here that I'm not getting? And that's, that's part of why I keep watching it. So I feel like I do understand it, and the fact that I feel like I understand it makes me question if I really understand it. Because you've been told you can't. <laughs> right. So it totally works on me on, on a meta level. Crazy. Which I think is awesome. Yeah. So Crazy. meta, dude. Okay, so now I'm going to have to spring something on you, Seth. We talked about whether or not it was science fiction. Yeah. The book was awarded the World Fantasy Award. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. 
<laughs> so someone can someone and probably a lot of someone's considered it fantasy. Well, I will say that the the entry on Wikipedia, which we know is always right, um, has it categorized as science fiction, comma horror fiction. Uh, yeah, the movie or the book? The book. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a horrific aspect to it. In fact, I found it hard to decide what I found worse, knowing that you might die if you step in the machine or knowing that you were going to kill what came out of the machine if it was alive. Yeah. Mm. And here I thought it was a romance novel. <laughs> I got bad news for you. If you're in the book, don't don't fall in love with Olive. No. No, she's no good. No. I only like Olives if they're in gin or vodka. She might have been a gin rummy. Jenner, she was Rummy. a gin Remy. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There was quite a bit of gin drinking in there. Not like yeah. James would not approve. No. Gin's horrible. Don't drink it. Yeah, we established that on the Colossus cast. Yes. <laughs> nope, that's not the perfect martini. Mar- perfect martini does not have any gin. Nope. Uh, you wanted to read some more comments from our Twitter feed. Um, I think we more or less hit everything that, that he had commented on. And this is this is Bill. Um, and I, I did want to, I'll put a link to uh, to Bill's podcast, which he said has been pod faded, mean, meaning it hasn't been, um, he hasn't been doing as much on it and is kind of winding it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, um, it's called Talking Traffic. And so I thought that was interesting because I know that uh, you have at least one son who's got interests in transit planning and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and he's a traffic engineer. Bill is so, um, but he he said that more or less that he he really thought the book was well written and he liked the epistolary format um, and he liked the complexity of it. But he, there were too many questions at the end, and so he couldn't say that he liked it. And we we did talk about some of that about Andrew and his twin. Why did he sense him? You know, some of those other things. So yeah, you know, it. I think the book is definitely worth reading, and you may enjoy it. You may not. That's kind of the way it always is, though. Right. Uh, about time to rank them. I'm ready to rank, I think. All right, go ahead. Aye, aye. <laughs> now, I, I thought you said you were ready. ready. <laughs> you, you can decide on your, um, on your criteria for, for ranking in terms of, you know, which one is least morally offensive, which one is more entertaining, which one is better done. Yeah, um, that, that, yeah that's kind of my problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, as it's not a bad book. It's not a bad movie, but I like the movie more. Okay. And I think it's because there's there's actually less backstabbing and revenge. Uh, the book to me, the book feels like it lags or gets a uh, little. Uh, you have to slog through a couple of sections. Um, the, the pacing slows way way down. And sure. I, I thought that maybe it would have benefited from keeping a slightly higher pace in a few places. And it's inconsistent, mm-hmm. which I don't like. Yeah, I think I, some of those inconsistencies were by design, though. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling. I'm, I'm over it. If you have enough drinks, you get over the inconsistencies. So, so Colin, let me ask you this. You know, it, um, <laughs> when we had originally kind of talked about uh, watching movies with our kids, you know, you had talked about not wanting to to show them stuff with adultery in it, and and of course, this does have that because you have Borden living the double life where he has a mistress and a wife, even though he loves his wife and the other loves the mistress. In order to stay consistent, they have to keep swapping. Yes. Um, and that that's a problem. I feel like in the movie, it does show that there's some regret there. There's some remorse. That 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 he feels it's wrong. He just doesn't have the conviction to to back off from it. The secret is worth that much to him. It's worth that sacrifice. Yeah, which is a bad call. It is. All right, James. What what about you? Book movie. Uh, book movie. Oh, you prefer the book? Uh, mostly because I think if there if somebody's going to do both of these, I think they should read the book first and then watch the movie. Okay. All right. Well, uh, it's no shocker probably that I go movie book. Um, and I would say watch the movie first. Um, but just because i i enjoy the mystery of the of the movie enough and i remember being fooled enough by it the first time that i wouldn't want that spoiled before seeing it on the other hand you could make an argument that it's always best to spoil the movie because the movie still is poured into your eyes and so you can still enjoy it on an artistic level even if the even if some of the narrative doesn't work as well all right uh i think we're wrapped then on that anyway okay well what are we going to do next what is next on our list? I believe this is episode 41. Uh, it's this episode 41. I, because by now I will have released Brilliant. the supercut that I've been promising to release for a while. Um, <laughs> so this is episode number 41. So for episode 42, there is really no choice in the matter. That's we true. have to do The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And that's going to take us some time. So hopefully we can get that out in June. Um, <laughs> because, because we have uh, a radio drama to listen to. We have a book to read. Maybe we watch some of the the BBC television stuff as well, and a film. 
So it's it's a lot to take in. How long is a radio play? Have it's you... not all that long. Oh, it's okay. a few hours. Movie length? Four hours. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Three and a half so four like hours. Ten commandments length. Listen to it on one and a half speed. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's only three hours. <laughs> no, it's totally listenable. That's what we do on podcasts. So. No. At some point, we're going to have Phil Nichols on also to talk about Fahrenheit 451, but that'll probably be August-September time frame. So we'll have to decide what to do in between there, and we should do something short. Because we, we've been asking Jimmy to read a lot of full-length novels. I know, we gosh. I've got, I've got just the thing. It's a short story that was adapted into a short movie by one of our favorite authors who we've been wanting to uh, have on for a while, Daniel H. Wilson. Huh, maybe I should reach out to him again and see if uh, see if he'll offer to have us over to his house again. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, we were never able to make the timing work on that, but yeah, I should do that. Yeah. Yep. That might work. Also, there we could do some Philip K. Dick as well, because there's lots of short stories and single movies. Yes. Yeah. Right. And in fact, there is going to be a Philip K. Dick uh, anthology series made by the BBC starring Brian Cranston. Yes, that's true. Now we're getting into uh, science fiction news. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I think we should probably sign off. All right. All right. Well, then, uh, everybody, until next time, uh, we thank you for listening. And uh, I want to ask you, if you're listening to us and you have not yet um, gone to Stitcher or iTunes and given us a review, we would really appreciate it if you did, because we could use more of those. It'll help increase our visibility. That'd be awesome. But if you haven't and uh, you enjoy the show, you can reach out to us in you know on the Twitters at Pavement Podcast or on Facebook. Just search Take Me To Your Reader, or Pavement Pounders podcast. We'd love to hear from you. But if we don't hear from you, thank you anyway for listening. We really appreciate it. So until next time, we'll leave you with uh, a Pavement Pounders blessing that I haven't thought through and I'm going to try and do on the fly. May the road rise up to meet you, and may your teleportation always be complete. Uh, you see what I did there? How about, uh, may the road rise up to meet you, and may you always be closer to the gun than your double. <laughs> I like it. I'll leave both in. Okay, so uh, we have signed off. That's good. Okay. Ow! Just ran over my own toe with the stupid chair. <laughs> ah, awesome. And now I'm out of breath. Why did I run upstairs? Why did you run downstairs? Yes, I'm sorry, sir. I'm going to have to ticket you for running well fat. Was it upstairs or downstairs? I had to do both in order to get back to where I started. Oh, uh, yes. That's how it works. We don't, we don't have uh, downstairs both ways. When I was a kid, we did have upstairs both ways. Uh, no, no, okay, I'll... I'll I'm, I'll keep going here. Oh, okay. So, you know, bo <laughs> it's been a while. I'm totally rusty. Um.